Greetings. Greetings, friends. It's your Chapo. Mm. On this episode, we will be discussing the Steven Spielberg film and pop cultural phenomenon, Ready Player One. As a way of introducing this film and our discussion thereof, on the cab ride back uh, from the film house where we saw the film, Felix explained to me that in Judaism, there are certain Jews that believe heaven and hell are real, but they are the same place that everyone goes to. For the righteous man, heaven is being with Moses and talking about God all day. However, for the wicked, that very same scenario is hell. This film, Ready Player One, and the concept of the oasis, a virtual world created by author Ernest Klein, is in fact, for purposes of Chapo Trap House and this show and discussion, that very same concept. Heaven for our Virgil Texas and the deepest pit of hell for Matt Christman. It's true. I will pass. Uh, now we, I'll now turn. Yeah, uh, I, will, I will turn to Virgil first. Right, but let's explain what's going on. We have a lot of opinions, okay, and okay, well, you're of, already violated. Ah, God damn it! You're right. <laughs> Fuck. Will you explain it then? Do you want it? Do you no, want explain the stick? It. Explain okay. It. Well, we're all going to give our takes, right? Uh, yes. Well, let me start by saying, Chris, at the top of the episode, can we add something like, uh, like the 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 the. Like the Sega, like the Sega voice. No. Chapo. Don't do that. Or uh, maybe, maybe something thing. like just, uh, stop doing this. EA Games, Chapo everything. Uh, we, uh, Amber insists that we have a our first ever Chapo talking stick, which is this VHS copy of Police Academy. Matt suggested it. I Don't make me into the school marm here. Yes, no, I suggested it. I thought it was your suggestion. No, it was my okay. suggestion. She okay, rightly what, pointed out that this okay, would be what, a problem. Uh, uh, hello, 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 hello. What am I holding? My idea. Holding, well, there you go. They're you're holding my idea. Again. Violating it again. Yeah, you're violating holding my it idea. again. Anyway, my take on the film. I came into it. I said to everyone, I think seven or eight out of ten. Uh, solid nine. This was a fucking masterpiece. This was a beautiful, brilliant film. It was a absolutely a, a trenchant satire of the liminal period in which we live, where we are converting to a digital state. And I would say it is an affirmation of humanity. I have very much more to say, but it's mostly uh, in opposition to what some of my colleagues might say about it. So why don't I pass the police academy to who's next? My, me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, this was a cinematic apocalypse. Ready Player One is basically, it's just sounding the death knell for creativity, for the idea that you could make anything new, the idea that... that you are in your imagination that, that you, you are seeking something within yourself to express to others that they may share in it and that you can have a creative endeavor that is meaningful. It is a future of rote recitation. It is a cultural death. And uh, it made me uh, kind of want to jump in front of a train. Uh, that might have been because before the movie started, they had a little uh, featurette with Ernst Klein showing off the actual fucking proton pack from Ghostbusters that he owns. And he looked exactly like me. He was, in fact, wearing the exact same blazer <laughs> jeans combo I was. And there's the same stupid glasses and bad beard. And uh, it, that didn't put me on the right path, certainly. And it's definitely committed me to doing a makeover. But anyway, I don't think that that had too much impact <laughs> on my correct assessment that the film is noxious and doom laden and means that there is no future. I think it's telling that uh, our talking stick is in itself 
in fact, an artifact of popular culture from the 1980s. Which Matt recognized immediately. One, one that I, uh, I keep of in a special place in my home because, of course, as much as we can pretend to critique it, we, of course, are all living within the ideology of 80s and 90s pop culture. My take on the movie is somewhat of a synthesis between Matt and Virgil. I was actually hmm. surprised coming out of it that I didn't hate it. I, I, didn't, I wasn't angry coming out of the movie. Uh, I had my problems. I don't think it was a perfect movie like Virgil did, but I, I wasn't viscerally repulsed by it. That being said, uh, what I enjoyed about it is it did have a little bit of a Spielberg charm to it, just a little bit, even though if I found the references and overall tone of it to be rather leaden and laborious. What I liked about it, similar to what Virgil said, is I think it provides a... a compelling vision of a what, where our society is going in the future, particularly dominated by giant Amazon and Google-like corporations where people are in, essentially enslaved to virtual worlds. However, I don't think the movie provided nearly a grim enough portrait of what that reality is like. And mm. to echo Matt, the idea that the Oasis is a world in which we let our imaginations run free I find noxious because what the movie portrayed is, in fact, one in which our imaginations die completely. Felix. Ernst Klein, more like Ernst Rome. <laughs> um, okay, so who should relate to this movie the most out of anyone? I don't know. Maybe the movie about a perfect boy whose greatest gift is going online and playing with his friends, having a great time, understanding the craft of being online better than anyone in the entire world who has a pure spirit and only wants to protect the culture of online from interlopers, from monetizers, from other outsiders. Well, I did not find this film true to my experience. Uh, for one, when they were in the Oasis slash Matrix, you know, the voluntary Matrix, uh, they, uh, the freemium matrix. There was none of the internet that I recognize. There was no racism. There was no sort of manifestation of Instagram where guys from Gulf states just screamed at the women, you know, no you're nudity. so beautiful, no nudity, no porn, no porn hub. Even though the main character is the type of guy who would spend 300 real life dollars to win Kendra Lust fuck a fan contest. <laughs> there was a brothel. There was a brothel. No, they implied that that was a place where people went to make love virtually. Yeah, not to not to do pile drivers, which is also <laughs> sexual and people don't know. But uh, no, you, you know, it, it's there is no problem with making a pop culture laden product. The greatest creator of all time, Hideo Kojima, his works, Metal Gear Solid, are filled with references to his favorite films and cultural artifacts. But of course. Hideo Kojima is one of the smartest people to ever live, <laughs> ever, and created something beautiful and original with a totally novel plot. And not just this, which is masturbatory, and like the thesis of it is, you know, in the future, one or two companies will control everything. People will be so beaten down that their only escape will be microtransactions. But, uh, you know, the CEOs aren't real fans, and that's what's going to make <laughs> them lose. Moronic. And they did not use their Columbus, Ohio setting to its highest estimate. At the beginning of the movie, we do not hear, hey, welcome to Street Fight. <laughs> All right, Amber? We, uh, we skipped over the theater experience part, which I think we have to throw in because Will is also very big on this. I fucking hate Alamo Drafthouse. They're <laughs> stupid snitch-ass fucking... They're like, it's not enough that they're like, you'll receive one warning and then you'll be kicked out. They also say, 
if you have someone to report, they're fucking snitch-ass movie theater. They serve shitty food. Let's never go there again. I hate mm. them. The screen quality is even good. There was, there was a slice in the screen, and it was shuddering the whole time anyway. Fuck that business. Maybe make one quick comment uh, on the Alamo Draft House experience. Uh, they're actually going against the express wishes of director Steven Spielberg, who in pre, uh, pu- you know, press about the movie said, I want people when they see this movie to say, oh, that's blank, or I get that at the screen. So Alamo Draft House. Why would you want that? Well- Shut up. Yes, exactly. Why would you want someone interjecting? Anyway, <laughs> I believe I believe in quiet theaters, but this is not a Bergman festival. It's exactly the kind of movie where there's supposed to be noises. And even if like a usher had to go in and be like, "Hey, I'm sorry, could you be a little quiet?" It's not the same thing as. By the way, you will be ejected. Also, your fellow patrons are going to be snitching on you. Uh, this was also for my experience not a quiet theater. I was sitting next to Matt, who every five minutes or so was interjecting. This is bullshit. God damn it. That's not true. Okay. I just um, made some noises. But my <laughs> impressions of the movie, um, I I didn't know actually what to pick from this, but as soon as I knew we were seeing it, um, I went back to Mark Fisher, who wrote a lot about nostalgia, sort of current, late capitalist malaise of nostalgia. And there's something about the aesthetic futurism that is really interesting. And this is from, uh, well, you can actually find uh, the excerpt on The Quietest, but... In it, he paraphrases a lot of Jameson, but he has this moment where he says, where is the 21st century equivalent of Kraftwerk? If Kraftwerk's music came out of a casual intolerance for the already established, then the present moment is marked by an extraordinary accommodation towards the past. More than that, the very distinction between past and present is breaking down. In 1981, the 1960s seemed much further away than they do today. Since then, cultural time has folded back on itself, and the impression of linear development has given way to a strange simultaneity. So I thought it was kind of a... They tried to do what they did with Blade Runner, where they tried to sort of create a futuristic world that was dystopian, but also had like the aesthetic of a memorable nostalgia. For Blade Runner, it was noir. Uh, For this movie, it was like the cool ladies, fun Spielberg kids movie, which is also super weird because that means Spielberg is literally imitating himself. Yes, he is! Second of all, it really was fine. I agree with Will that um, the strong points of it, it did have a human touch. And as sad as it is to say, it is very rare at this point that you can be like, wow, they wrote that movie. It was not produced by an algorithm. Like this, this had some Spielberg charm and, you know, it was cute and fun and somewhat ambitious in terms of, in terms of writing. Um, Obviously, at the end, I don't care if I'm spoiling it for you. Uh, you know, nothing changes. There's still a horrible, faceless capitalist, you know, organization that's unaccountable to anyone. But the good guys get it, and our hero gets a nice loft with a bunch of vintage gains, and we don't know anything and about the dystopian outside world. Um, but I thought it was cute and you know, fine. However, there was it did it did climax in a war scenario in the game and I leaned over to Felix at the time and I was like can you imagine how insufferable the veterans of that war would be (laughs) Uh, yeah I was thinking when you said that I was thinking about the VFW where they're all there (laughs) and instead of being like we lost a lot of good men that day they're like I get the reference sir (laughs) plus one (laughs) But yeah, 
yeah, the casting was charming. It was one of the few sort of situations where it, I, I thought the kind of hamminess of it had some charm. I think people are really moving away from this ridiculous, gritty Batman style filmmaking, and they're acknowledging that these things are entertainment. They're not fucking war and peace, so there's no more like rubbing the actual film through grime before <laughs> like putting it on the projector. Um, it was cute. It was fine. Okay. We're going to get into a deeper conversation of the film. I'd like to go through the plot and then you know, talk about some other possibilities. But before we do, we do have to check in with international movie correspondent all the way from Down Under, mate. It's Matt V. Brady calling Mitt, in. Yay. Mitt Brady. <laughs> it's Mitt Brady calling in with a movie review. I have not heard this yet, so I'm going to play it now. Hello, Chapo Trapo Hazo. It's international film correspondent Matt Brady here, just with a quick review of Ready Player One, or as I like to call it, Games Master Anthony's Birthday, the movie. Right off the bat, I've got to give a demerit to Senor Spielbergo for the running time. I don't know if there are any Hollywood bigwigs listening to this, but if there are, just please, just give us a nice, good, fun 90-minute film. Just give me a nice, tight 90, brah. Ready Player One is set in a dystopian future. It's all about a futuristic virtual reality machine that somehow has worse graphics than the ones we have today in 2018. It's uh, like a cyber world where you can be anything you want to be. And the things that people largely seem to choose to want to be is the orc cop from Bright and Marty McFly if he was in a Korean boy band. It's mainly a film for and about incels. There's no real stakes whatsoever, given that at any moment any character can escape by simply taking their VR headset off. There's a couple of big action set pieces where the CGI is so blurry and so fast that I found it literally impossible to follow what was going on. If you're excited to see Todd McFarlane's spawn charging in a battle alongside Master Chief from Halo for one-tenth of a second, <laughs> then this might be the film for you. <laughs> Australia's own triple parentheses Ben Mendo Mendelssohn is in it. He's kind of fun as the bad guy. He's an evil corporate suit who doesn't care about the emotional resonance that pop culture has with its audience. He just wants to use it to make money off slack-jawed rubes. And it's a pretty bold choice that Spielberg actually made himself the villain of the film. <laughs> right before the thrilling climax of the film, which is literally the hero playing an old shitty Atari game in real time, the brave incel protagonist spends several seconds trying and in failing to insert a large key, which is a long rod with a head, into a hole just thrusting and thrusting and completely missing the mark. And I feel like that scene really sums up the intended audience for this dull, boring pile of garbage. <laughs> 140 fucking minutes long. Jesus. Anyway, I uh, guess my review is ready, player, done. <laughs> ready, ready, player, done. Fucking master of the craft. <laughs> International film correspondent from all the way down under, <laughs> that is Matt the, V. Brady. That is the only reason I ever look forward to seeing the shitty movies we have to see is to hear the Matt V. Brady review. By the way, I pointed this out in the car and uh, Matt agreed with me, but uh, Ben Mendelsohn actually 
looks like Richard Vernon, the principal from The Breakfast Club, and I mm. swear that was intentional casting. He even sort of spoke like him, like he had a very specific kind of Midwestern neutral that you actually don't hear as much in movies. Yeah. Well, he's, he's an Australian. He's trying very hard to do the accent correctly. I think he did fine. And I got to say that between this, I always, when he came up, I thought Mendelssohn's shtick was going to be like a Richard Edson, Shea Wiggum style dirtbag. If you've ever seen the movie Killing Them Softly, he plays this oh, heroin addict criminal, and he's just... He's got just grease coming off the screen. Mississippi grind. Just this. He's like a sleazebag. But between this and Rogue One, Rogue One, he is actually very good at bureaucratic exasperation. Just like I, I don't know what what this isn't going according to the the quarterly reports. So get, kudos to him for being a fine Australian. One of like three or four, <laughs> along with Matt Brady, of course. Uh, y'all want to get down to a play by play. I remember that first sequence very, very clearly, and I think it's very interesting. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd just like to say one thing. Okay, so getting into the world of the movie itself, and I think uh, if we describe it, the, its ideology will reveal itself. I would say this movie was sort of the most that's chappy movie ever made. <laughs> and I think, I think Matt Brady gets Why to the wasn't es- chappy in it, by the way? <laughs> Matt Brady does get to the essential uh, point of this movie, which is that gaming and pop culture... Through gaming and pop culture, we can not only liberate ourselves, but the world. That is sort of the message offered by the, the hero of this movie. And the important concept of the film is that of this online, massive multiplayer virtual reality called The Oasis. It takes place in 2045, and as Felix alluded to, Columbus, Ohio. So ready, ready Street Fight 1. There was no Brian Quimby shout-outs or references in this movie, ludicrously. Huge oversight on the part of the writers and producers. But um, essentially, uh, America is, you know, like even further economically immiserated. People live in these kind of stacked trailer parks. Right. Uh, Our main character, Wade Watts, lives in these stacks, a kind of urban slum that's a a steel scaffold with trailer homes throughout uh, stacked vertically, which was very odd to me. That was... uh, not very well explained. Like, there's no bricks anymore. They couldn't just build, you know, large urban housing. No, maybe, it, I, maybe no. Maybe, that's actually yeah. the most realistic thing about it. Yeah, that's the that's the name. If you, I mean, the thing is, like, those kind of cities exist now. Those sort of uh, ad hoc shanty towns outside major cities they exist, just not in the United States. Not in the United and, States. It, no. And they, they and it's all improvised. You you use what you have and. What people would have was that actually, as Amber said, that's realistic. I mean, you, if you, that's what, that's what slums around the world look like. And the ones that will be soon coming to the United States look, will look like. Well, that makes me think maybe we were wrong in the last premium episode and the Yimbies were right because if they had only upzoned those areas, <laughs> uh, they would live in proper housing. Uh, clearly there is a market inefficiency there, uh, to benefit the landowners. Uh, but, uh, Going forward, you know, there's only exact. There's pretty much just one nod to the political situation there, where Wade says, you know, this is long after we as a society had tried to solve our problems, and now we're just trying to outlive them. Mm-hmm. Uh, possibly because of a breakdown in bipartisanship in moderate <laughs> yeah. solutions. Yeah, it, it, it's it's nightmarish because it posits a future where the apocalypse is essentially ongoing. Columbus, Ohio, they say is the is the fastest growing city in the world. Presumably that that can only be because of climate refugees fleeing the, those flooded eastern and western seaboards. So there we, is one good part. Yeah. Uh, so we know that we're in the middle of a climate catastrophe. There's been the bandwidth riots, jerk me off for eternity, and the corn syrup uh, shortages of the earlier generations. And it just, that reality is taken for granted. 
Like, there's no changing that. There's no changing economic outcomes. There's no changing the distribution of mm-hmm. resources. There's no changing the ecology. And that is assumed throughout the whole film. And that is part of the, the dead end that this movie gives you. It says there's no fixing anything. And all you have to play with are the relics of the fucking shitty, wheezing, dying capitalist machinery that is crushing you under it. All you can live with. All you can fucking even imagine. Your brain has been colonized. Your dying dreams aren't your own. They're fucking Mattel. And they're fucking uh, the G.I. Joes and shit. Like those are the fucking your last thoughts as you fucking die on this fucking carbon dioxide miasma it's it's the shit that they pumped into your brain and pumped into your lungs at the same time how do you get this worked up on weed (laughs) how because i i gotta say i i had a pretty good time well that to me is a (laughs) you get uh, him wet (laughs) uh what matt is uh you know alluding to i think it's the heart of this movie the main the main plot device of it is something called the oasis the Oasis is the virtual world in which all of our main characters basically live their lives and compete with. Now, the, the sort of engine of the movie is the idea that this, uh, this old game designer, the Halliday character, is this game master genius who created this virtual paradise in this world where we can all, you know, fuck Spyro the Dragon and Todd McFarlane <laughs> spawn. Um, yeah, uh, so this, this part should not be omitted. It should be very clear. People live in these slums, but they spend... Pretty much all of their waking hours in a this virtual world, which is for leisure, for competition, where you can make money, all that sort of thing. And it was created by one visionary, Halliday, uh, owned by one company. Halliday has died, and five years uh, prior to the beginning of the film, in his living will, he said that there are these three keys throughout the Oasis, and if you're clever and smart enough to find them, you will... Uh, win the uh, majority share of this company worth about $500 billion. Here, here is the thing about the, this quest, though, is that in, in this Halliday figure, the, the author, Ernest Klein, who did write the screenplay to the movie, is Co-wrote. essentially creating someone like himself is, is the, the god emperor of this virtual world. But not only that, the control of it is like the most important economic concern in the entire world. Because presumably it's shitty everywhere, and everybody is living and and doing somehow commerce. has money to spend on the freemium armor. And no one and shit. has jobs, uh, but I do think an incredibly entertained, impoverished populace is is the future. <laughs> no, that's and, true. I mean, it's kind of the present. the present. I'm just wondering where the income, where's the economic input? Because they're all spending all this money on, but the, they're like on they're up, doing upsells. tasks in the game. Like, and there's even a thing where you can get like the, the company online will- itself has become an economy. Yeah, yes. but where do they get the money? Well, everything's automated. We see people. Nobody really goes outside. Everyone gets a uh, drone delivery for anything they need. But where does the money? Yeah, go? but like they, like I assume, if you are a good gamer, you probably make money from gaming. Yes, but most people aren't good. Where are they getting the money that's paying to make the whole thing exist? Because it's okay. They get approached by the physical manifestation in the game of Exo Jane, and they're like, "Hello, citizen. What bad experiences have you had?" <laughs> Pretty much, and then they yeah. uh, they do like sort of uh, they run through a course of obstacles where they write out a first person essay. Yeah, <laughs> and then they have enough money to pay for drone delivery and get a new denim vest in the game. <laughs> that is <laughs> Just exactly like that is exactly what it is. It and because be. because the current internet runs on female pain and i don't mm-hmm. see that changing at all it's just like tell us about your rape and then you get a new skin show us 100 percent what it is but hey, the hey young is, lady is show us your that's slime that's the economy is that yeah. the premium the, is that 
is that the clickbait economy that we're talking about runs on ad dollars, and they explicitly say that there's no ads in the Oasis, and one of the bad things that you don't want to happen that Mendelssohn's evil corporate character wants to happen if he gets the egg is he's going to introduce ads. Yeah, and this the Halliday character is set up as the sort of eccentric genius who created this universe, and the key to beating the game and <laughs> unlocking everything is to essentially live in the mind of... How shall I say this? A character that is portrayed on film, and I'm assuming in the book, as slightly touched, unable to socialize with people or connect with them in oh, the man, real world. He doesn't really make eye contact. He doesn't really he make talks, eye contact. Uh, and lives reach. within himself and the his computer games and the web of 80s and 90s pop culture references he that he like adores. In other words, an alpha male genius. <laughs> <laughs> Which is super weird, too, because it's... What, what's the year? 2045. Okay, so they're literally obsessed with 60 years ago. Yes, that's, that's the crazy thing. That's not a cycle of nostalgia no, that people tend to that get is, on. That is, a, that is brain death. That's what that is. That's when they say like those last two minutes of your brain, with like the last bits of oxygen you have once your head you gets You know who off. they are? They're rockabillies. <laughs> oh my God. Oh no. They're fucking rockabillies. Oh, rockab- rockabilly player one. 60 years ago. Yeah, I mean, there's a scene where they're if anyone in- now who's into something that happened 60 years ago is a fucking rockabilly. Yeah, because they're they're So at one point, him and the and guy- they have secret nostalgic yearnings for a time of segregation yes. and extreme gender yes. fucking uh, heteronormativity. Uh, yeah. And just like that, these people probably have a secret. They don't talk about this, but they're into the 80s because they're into fucking Reagan. Yes. <laughs> this is bullshit. This is so reactionary. Absolutely. Okay, now I'm getting to the angry Thank you. Well, now, now you're listening. Thank you. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. What just I want to say one thing okay. just very just as a as a parenthetical to that I thought was amusing. At one point, the CGI guy and his CGI girlfriend who look exactly if anybody saw in the late nineties, early aughts, there was a Final Fantasy movie. It was an all CGI film. It was dog shit. Within. It looked about as good as this. <laughs> it looked about as good as this. They were on par. Worse than Avatar, which was 10 years ago. Shit CGI, dog shit. But anyway, him and his CGI girlfriend. Trying to look shit. It was a confusing aesthetic. So him and his CGI girlfriend go to a club and they're dancing to uh, Blue Monday. And then while they're dancing to Blue Monday, he decides he's going to go and do Saturday Night Fever. And his girlfriend says, oh, old school. It's like, motherfucker, you're dancing to something that's 60 years old. And now you're like, wow, that's only 10 years older than that. It would be the that. equivalent if the uh, rockabilly, the actual rockabilly generation were really into camp town races. Yes. <laughs> well, no, no, it, you know what? Actually, it would be the equivalent of them being into swing dancing, which they are. Now, I, I have a few points to, to make on that. Halliday made Oasis in 2025. So he would still, for the most part, be ensconced in 80s nostalgia, as we're all still ensconced in 80s nostalgia. Obviously, the film takes place in 2045. No, we're not. Yes, we are. Everyone I'm, does I'm 80s nostalgia. I'm ensconced in Bush era nostalgia. Look, the fact is, is I'm that ensconced in like early, like good eras of the Simpsons nostalgia. The fa- okay, the, look, okay. The, he, Halliday and and uh, Mendelssohn's character are, are, are Cardamon. What the fuck was his name? Uh, <laughs> Cap- Cavatelli. <laughs> I forget. Whatever. Whatever the fuck. Those guys Still are two. Saying things till you those, get it right. those are the two sides of Spielberg. His his childlike soul, his 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 spirit of of, of that creation, is true, yeah, and then his like adult self. So those are the two parts of him. Hang on, no. but he is he is positing the Oasis is his brain, is Halliday's quote unquote brain, and they all live in it. So it doesn't matter. So basically, you're saying, oh well, of course they're his references. They're from the he's that age, right? But he's 
condemning everyone who then chooses to live in his brain to be caught in his fucking brain dead cycle of nostalgia and never be able to create anything new. No, that's not true because the nature of a virtual world is that the users can create and expand on whatever the initial creator wanted. But what do they make? Let's talk about The Shining. Yeah. Mm. Let's go there. That, 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 okay, there is a sequence about halfway through this movie. Okay, where the second key. To unlock the second key, our, our gaming team, our team of gamers from different places. and It's called a clan. Different weird avatars. Uh, to get the second key, they have to literally go into the film The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick. We know about Steven Spielberg. He considers himself a big Kubrick groupie. And, he know, finished and, AI. And yeah, he finished AI, a movie that Kubrick was set to do after Eyes Wide Shut. He considers himself an acolyte and a groupie of Kubrick, which is odd because Kubrick's tone and sensibility is almost diametrically Absolutely. opposed to Spielberg's. Still interesting, though. So you get, you get treated to a sequence where they, they, it looks like they are in the movie The they Shining. They use actual footage. Except they're, like, yeah, like they, they did it very seamlessly. Or they recreated Or they it. recreated that set perfectly. I don't know. But they're walking around in these goofy video game avatars in the Overlook Hotel. <sighs> and it, it's a sequence that asks, what would The Shining, that masterpiece, be like? If Kubrick had access to cutting edge video game graphics, <laughs> awesome! Like, it would be awesome. <laughs> no. it is so- I have to say, it reifies. Okay, it, it it definitely confirms my suspicion that nerds of the nerd variety who c- claim to be into the arts are in fact aping someone who they think is in the arts. Because if you if you like Kubrick, you would be horrified. At someone doing that oh, to it his was, work, it was it was it was breathtaking. It's perverse. It, it, it was like an effigy. It was it, just, was it was like somebody tracking dog shit into an immaculate white living room. What, what? It was nauseating. You don't, yeah, you don't it was that- a perfect, pristine Kubrick interior that just got a bunch of gross Spielberg Shilly fucking sunshine dumped CGI on it. CGI horseshit characters. You don't think that would be cool if and you I went into... And I hate Spielberg. So you, would you, say, you, don't, you don't think that would be cool if you went into 2001 A Space Odyssey and, <gasps> what's this? All your favorite Joss Whedon characters are here? <laughs> Speaking wait, of that... So you would, say that, that? You, you would say that uh, a, a, a Kubrick film is so culturally sacrosanct you would not want to see it manipulated in this fashion. Yes, I would say that. You know what? Actually, here's the thing. I am ready to be surprised, but that did not do anything good. That was not a good meme, if you will. That was not a good pastiche. If if I could uh, comment one one more thing on the overall movie experience. We saw this, as Amber alluded to, at the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn, the... uh, the, 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 the most rules movie theater you'll ever go yeah, to. You like rules? <laughs> Come on down to the Alamo. So anyway, we like we saw this shitty snacks in the the seventy millimeter showing of Ready Player One in all its glory. And one of the previews before the film that was done in such a way that I myself thought I it was too. the yeah, beginning of too. the actual film was a trailer for a 70-millimeter showing of Stanley Kubrick's 2001 Space Odyssey. Looked magnificent Which on that 70-millimeter film. Yeah. Looked incredible. However, it does bring to mind the Mystery Science 3000 rule of never remind people of a better film and during not, the film you And see. not just that, <laughs> but what was really striking to me was it was one trailer, and it was, not by its, it, was, it was interspersed with three or four other trailers. And every other trailer was for a sequel, a reboot mm-hmm. or a yep. sequel to a comic book movie. Yeah. Everyone was a dead end piece of detritus of fucking of just Harry Potter. Yes. No, that, Jurassic that, World. Yes. 
that new Avengers. That yes. new fucking superhero movie. Superhero movies are now just produced by that algorithm that makes like YouTube videos of like Spider Man murdering Peppa Pig. Yes. <laughs> That's what these movies They're are. All They're all just smashing them all each together. Other. Just yes. like but what if they interacted? It's fan art. Yeah. It's disgusting fan fiction. Yes. I got so mad during the trailer for Infinity War. Those sorry, Marty. Cat, Marty has the cap to cap. my yeah. They got, love bottle caps. It's so cute. Anyway, uh, I got so mad during the trailer for Infinity War because a I'm gonna have to see it with all of you. Like I know that I will. That's the next movie we're doing. And b it's just like Amber said, the algorithm. But the other part of that algorithm is that shitty. Even if he didn't write it, Joss Whedon dialogue where it's like. Uh, I have a plan. Oh yeah, my plan is to say no to your plan. Oh well, my plan is that you're gonna. I know you're gonna say that. Oh uh, well, uh, that's why I came up with a whole different plan. Well, you weren't looking. Uh, oh, I'm not. Uh, oh, are you looking now? Uh, oh, you're looking over there. Okay, bye. Okay, we're doing this. Okay. Uh, oh, uh, oh. Uh, did I mention I was awesome? By the way. Okay, thanks. Bye. And uh, you just, if you brought in someone from like Nepal or so, who just lived on a mountain forever and told them those movies were the Warcraft movie, they would believe you. They look the same. Yeah. It's just a bunch of lasers and CGI bullshit. But you add in that sort of smug, shitty, like, self-aware dialogue. Yeah. And yeah. So it's... I love that it's, like, sort of ironic and self-detached, but it's also, like, you spent $300 million on lasers. Yeah, like, that's how why, detached are you? That's why I will always take Bay over that shit, because Bay's yes. commitment is total. He is a fully glassy-eyed, committed cyber demon... Of the of the nether realm, whereas these fucking Marvel people want to wink at the camera. It's like fuck Michael, you, buddy. Michael, Michael yeah. Bay has blood and cocaine running through yes. that blood. Yes, he's a real man. He's alive. He's coming. <laughs> and, where, where, whereas the robot that directs these movies is just like, uh, I think the fans would really like a cake as a lie reference right here. Good, kind of, back to back to Ready Player One. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spoon like, feeding uh, people. Uh, but like, but, but what's interesting about about what you just said, and like the trailers going into this movie, and as we were talking about the algorithm now that writes movies based on sort of what what is found to be sort of palatable references that we all kind of share, and, and things that we like, or that are sort of taken and reassembled into other things that we like. The question I think this movie offers is like, is it too accurate? of the world we live in, in which we are all embedded in this pop cultural algorithm. Does it cut too close to the bone in its portrayal of this world, or does it essentially accept it and present it in an acceptable way? Well, that's way? the thing. I viewed it as a realistic film, unlike these other this other Hollywood pablum. It was a film about the very social and economic issues that we're dealing with right now. And one thing I want to point out is that there is a an established fungibility between meat space money and the digital coins that you can collect in oasis because uh our main character wade lives with i believe his aunt and his aunt's abusive boyfriend who gambles away uh most of their money uh playing a video game and as well he can uh you can mine money through the game also very important is the idea that the evil corporation in this movie that is very much like you know Amazon or Google or whatever that con- is vying to control the gaming world of Oasis right. can buy up your debt and then press you into service in these sort of digital virtual minds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get to that later because that is that is actually a, a very key point in the film. Uh, in, the, in the long and the short of it is, so there is a competition to get the five hundred billion dollars. IOI wants to be the big tech monopoly. 
and they have it's a game so they have recruited an army to play the game in order to get the money which makes perfect sense obviously if there's a 500 billion dollar bounty it would make sense to invest money towards it and competing against them are what's called what are they what were they called again uh egg gunters gunters right egg, egg hunters. hunters right uh, who are basically just freelancers, including our hero. And the first big competition there is there is a virtual race through a New York City that has a quite a few interesting references <laughs> to uh, cinema there. And this race has been going on for five years, and nobody has ever finished it. And I thought that was an amazing sequence, by the way, that fucking race sequence. Not sucked. And our hero goes back into the archives. Uh, uh, the, the man who created Oasis left behind a huge archive of every moment in his life, basically. And people will obsessively study it to try to figure out hints to uh, uh, unlock the, the secret of the Easter egg. And our hero uh, hears something from a, a meeting between uh, the creator and the creator's collaborator which was kind of like a, it was like kind of a, a Steve Jobs and uh, Waz, yeah, uh, Wozniak kind of situation, and realizes, oh wait, what you have to do at the race is not go forward, just go backward into this wall. Which, as a gamer, I can tell you, would have been figured out by the second yeah, oh, yeah. iteration. I thought that this. was a very obvious clue, and the idea that uh, this would be some yeah, sort but of secret- gamers think they're smart, and this is and like to think they're smart, and this entire movie was designed to flatter their yes. Ears. No, but gamers, yes. gamers explore and fuck you, around, and they do you shit like that. Like things that flatter you, yes. We all like things. That we do. <laughs> we but do. This specifically flattered you. It said. You're very smart and very good, and all of you the crap that you watched means You know something. why this movie flattered me? Because as soon as I saw his best friend, I'm like, that's a woman. <laughs> oh, and, right. and I turned to Felix, and I said so. He's like, oh, yeah, definitely. And then it was uh, Lena Waithe, who's very charming, and also my wife. And I also, <laughs> I have to say, like, it, you know, I'm very critical of these kind of shallow diversity and representational arguments, but, like, as far as that stuff went, like... I think this might be the first time I've ever seen like a fully protagonistic like butch woman who wasn't like a tomboy yeah. but who's like an actual like butch lesbian. Oh, and I, how, I like that. She was a so friendly in, BFF lesbian. Sorry, but to your point about uh like representation, I thought an interesting thing we noticed uh coming Thank out. God they had Asians. They had they did have Asian gamers, that's important. Yes. However, in the universe, like I said, that is all this one guy's head. Uh, Holiday, aka Ernest Klein. Oh, out of AKA all the Spielberg. references, it was pretty much entirely devoid of black culture. Yeah, in, yep. in every respect, other than maybe I mean, that's one reference to Michael Jackson's Thriller. Yes, mm-hmm. that was it. It was all largely the John John Hughes has more references. Than John like Hughes, any, uh, yeah, whose entire ethos is white flight, well, reactionary yeah, suburban yeah. culture. Yeah, but this is a function of Klein and Spielberg and their peccadillos and their realm of knowledge that's why yes it is uh kind of a uh kind of an error on their part that all of the references are the 80s but come on it's a film made in 2017 by steven spielberg yes they didn't go out and hypothesize 2020s um, pop culture because that would not have made sense to the cinema goer you're gonna make an entire movie that its backbone is 80s pop culture there's no coming to america mm-hmm. there's a, just put in 
the entirety of Eddie Murphy Raw in the background. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where like, is that red leather yeah. suit? But honestly, like, if Coming to America was one of the biggest comedies of the 1980s and one of the most resident. There was just one well, movie. Yeah, could, Beverly there was Hills no there. Caddyshack reference. There's no trading places. No, but it's but just a hegemonic. references to John fucking Hughes. Yeah, it's, it's hegemonic white culture. And the thing is, you say, oh, that's their specific limitation, but they have the money and the access, and they created the thing. And that is the hell future we live in, where the few who have had a legacy uh, handed get, to them. They get to decide what canon is. Yes. And, and we have to live in canon it. Canon is always determined uh by the ruling class, though I, I am an advocate for canon. This isn't canon the way you think of it, Virgil. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know. I know what I think canon is. Do you know what canon is? Don Cannon, so legendary academic, producer. The academic concept of canon is like, okay, should we teach um, a bunch of, for example, the phrase they usually use is dead white men. Oh, yeah. yeah and the canon. argument is, the argument in favor of it is that that is, in fact, the most materialist um, uh, way of teaching things because those have historically been the most influential voices due to capitalism and where it erupted and who got to be in charge of what and whatever. Um, and also there's the a pedagogical sort of Marxist argument for it because it creates a baseline. It's not like, um, it's like everyone is learning the same thing. So they're dealing with this, with the same um, sort of body of knowledge. But when one person is in charge of determining what canon is, it, like it's going to be so myopic and just going to be their favorite shit, which is absolutely ridiculous because by the 80s, you know, uh, black culture was incredibly ascendant and has been ever since. To your point, though, the feeling of the Halliday character, which I think is a stand-in for Ernest Klein, mm -hmm. like, and the idea that every that all of his the pop cultural minutia that gave him pleasure now has to be studied. There's a whole field of study called the Hallidayology in the movie. No, there are, yes, there yes. was. Oh, There's Lord. the people in like yes. in suits yeah. who study like his every fucking every movie he's ever seen, everything he's ever liked to unlock the keys to like this whole new. Which realm. is, by the way, not how like sort of intellectual oh. thought works either. Like I'm a Marxist. I don't just sit around and st I'm not a historian <laughs> of Marx's life. Oh no, I'm sorry. However, I, I misunderstood. I thought you you meant in real world. No, 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 no. Thank God. In, okay. in the film itself. However, yeah. but th that gave me, it, it, what it brought to mind for me, the Oasis, a world created by this guy where the key to everything is just his, like, fanboy, uh, you know, ge geek-gasms, is like the Twilight Zone episode that was later satirized by The Simpsons in which a boy has godlike control over everything. And everyone has to think all the time, we like this part. Wait, wait, wait. I just thought of something. I just thought of something. We are not, um, you know, hallowed about our favorite things because I 100% love the Simpsons take on The Shining. Yeah. The Shining. It was great. It was Do you funny. want to get sued? Yeah, it was fantastic. It was self-referential. It was what that, that, uh, that act was trying to do. Well, it's that, just none that, of it. It was just thing. dead reference. Well, then hang on a take. How do you draw a, a distinction from that Remember criticism? Yeah. Uh, how, do, how do you criticize this? But then also like The Simpsons, which had an all-white writer's room that was writing on what they understood popular culture to be in the 20th century, no, because, which was the Twilight Zone, it, which was, yeah. Because yeah. they weren't saying, like, Ready Player One is billed as, like, this is the definitive look through our culture. Exactly. And the Simpsons was never doing exactly. Well, it was never, exactly. I, I'm not familiar with the exactly. billing of this film. I just watched it because it was a goofy, stupid film. Okay. Simpsons then, is a product of pop culture. 
Ready Player One claims to be an embodiment of all popular It claims culture. to be an anthology. It well, takes I'm on the role familiar. of... Uh, and there's nothing wrong... By the way, there's nothing wrong with liking all, like, one segment of pop culture. You tend to grow attached to what you're exposed to. Like, it's literally fine. This is Spielberg. But, but to claim to be anthological about it is... is Ridiculous, and that's what we're objecting to. We love all the shit that the Simpsons. Well, no, does I, with I, their, no with their I would, I would object to that too. I've not followed the uh, buzz, I believe, the industry term about it. I'm just reacting to the film itself and the ideas As expressed am I. by it. As am I. Uh, but one, one thing I do want to bring up is in that racing scene. Uh, that's where our meet cute happens with Artemis, the real gamer girl <laughs> who is also pursuing the key and boy she is a little sass pot well here's the uh, thing Virgil if you really liked if you really loved that uh, racing scene here's something that's absolutely gonna fucking blow you away don't say speed it's the cinematics from the game Twisted Metal in 1998 <laughs> yeah that's that, I mean that's the thing the CGI looks like dog shit all the CGI looks bad. Okay, but by the way, we, we, her character gets a lot of like depth, and I think they try and do the tough girl thing, but like they don't overplay it. It's fine. She's fine. It's cute. However, her apparent flaw is that she yeah. has a birthmark, which yeah. is somehow yeah. charming okay, and makes so her cuter. So this is, no, no, not done. But she is actually like a radical who's trying to bring down this horrible... Yes. She's trying to bring down this horrible capitalist institution that like apparently killed her father mm-hmm. in the in the gaming mines. And however, how does it end? She gets to be part she gets to be on the board. So yes. it killed it killed She her. gets to be one of the head capitalists. Yep. She's killed a benevolent ca- capitalist. Because her father was basically an a, an HB1 worker who uh came over with all uh, and who who started working for IOI with all these promises and then they reduce his salary. They force him to live in company housing. They said that part. Yeah. And they basically put him in debt bondage till they yes. fucking killed him. And then as Amber says, his his vengeful daughter gets her revenge by just taking over Oasis with her boyfriend. There's- She's like, I want to stop these people. And he's like, I think that this game should be accessible to everyone. Yeah. And, it, that, and they, they're unified on those two things as if those are similar of similar political yeah. weight. So they meet on the line and mm-hmm. she's a gorgeous shitty looking CGI avatar that he's nevertheless attracted to. I'm not going to get a boner for one of those people. They look like a fucking non-playable character from a game from Sega Dreamcast. Okay. The eyeballs. Okay. But, uh, the eyeballs well, you didn't like her, very insectile. You didn't like her attitude? I didn't, well, she, no, she's a sparky tough girl. I didn't. I, I don't want to belabor it, but she absolutely had Diva's attitude. But, but <laughs> she was a twit. She was, he said he recognizes her from her Twitch stream. All right. And, Which, uh, by the way, doesn't make sense. There wouldn't be Twitch in this I know, world. right? That, that's, uh, that's something they shoehorn in. That's, so, that's but, a little wink. But that's he falls in love it with is her. a wink. He falls in love with her just over a few days on, on computers. And she points out to him very smartly, hey, you idiot. You don't know who I am. I could be a guy. I could yeah. be anything. I could look completely different. And she's like, kind of like defensive. And you're like, this is an interesting conflict. Because yes. we're trying to resolve the difference between the fantasy world and reality. This kind of issue of this beautiful woman I'm falling in love with online and a real woman that I might have to meet one day, that's an interesting conflict. I really she, like, would have liked this movie if she was actually like 300 well, that's pounds. that's what I'm saying. Or, or her, a guy or her, 45. He meets her and she's just basically as cute as her avatar, but she has a birthmark on her face. Yeah. Well, it, like well, the, well, it, birthmark is putting it like drastically. Yes. It looks like she's slightly more tan on one part of it her face. It looks forehead. like she walked into a wall. Well, and well hold like, on. It's like a charming, mysterious, yeah. cute thing. I just a little bit to defend this movie than something else. I thought that all my friends I play Fortnite with were girls. They thought I was a girl. (laughs) (laughs) They thought, you know, then we all met. And it's like, well, if you're a guy, I'm a guy. 
and it was beautiful. And that's sort of true <laughs> to life. But uh, the other thing is, again, referencing another creator who loves loves his movies, loves his pop culture, also created a spunky redheaded character, but did it with way more depth. I'm talking about Meryl in Hideo Kojima's Metal Gear Solid 1, a much deeper character, explored that spunky, fiery redhead type way better, way deeper. Uh, yes, the personality type of having red hair. Yeah, it is. A, you thank spunky, you for breaking that stereotype, girl, Felix, of the gamer guy. <laughs> I'm just saying they both had red hair, uh, but Kojima subverted it, whereas Ernest Rome uh, <laughs> played into it. I agree with both of you guys that that was a huge missed opportunity. Obviously, the film had a different agenda, but I enjoyed the concept here, and I would like to see it explored further because I think the general idea that here's where we're going to, something that's resemb- that resembles the Oasis, that it's going to be a digital space where everything we hear, everything we see, and yes, everything we feel is identical to that. You know, these uh, uh, experiences in the real world, that will be the future. And yes, uh, what uh, Wade says early in the film is, this guy is my best friend, and I've never met him. I only know him as this orc guy. Uh, yet I have still made a human connection with him. I, c- I consider that a very hopeful idea. And you, you find that repellent? I just, the idea. We're literally all here. The idea of being a shitty CGI asshole all the time is very dispiriting to me. I'm sorry. Especially since this is a very sanitized version of online. We have a very, we've talked about this. Virgil showed me this nightmare, and he said, "This is the future." And I wanted me to—it made me want to kill myself. I showed him several months ago. I showed him VR chat. Yeah, it's a and real thing that you can go into, and it is a a virtual reality chat room. And what it was was a few people, and yeah, they were all like, it was like Ready Player One. They were just like their favorite Goku, yep. Goku, anime girl, with anime titties. lady with the titties, Not other nice. anime lady with breasts, another lady with also even larger breasts somehow, and then another uh, Goku's friend, uh, <laughs> vegetable farmer, yeah, and and also five hundred tiny guys <laughs> doing African guy accents, Knuckles. yelling at people, just being racist. And that part is not in here. The trolls, the monstrous assholes. Just well, there being... are probably mods. Well, that's the thing. That, that raises questions that it doesn't go into either. But, but also, Matt, again, like we kind of already have that. It's just not as immersive. We are literally all only friends and all only in this room right now because of online culture. Yeah, I know. It's it's been hugely influential on our comedy. It's been huge. It's been artistically influential on us. Yeah. The medium has produced why it's the sad. genre that we're operating. That's in. why it's sad. It That's feels why like you hate yourself. <laughs> it's why just Ready it? Player One makes it feel like a trap. Why it makes it feel like if anybody has read the Edward Edward Gorey uh, uh, book, the co- with the, Richard Scarry. No, Edward Gorey, who also did children's book. Yeah, and he did one called uh, the Couch. What is it called? And it's about some gay 90s uh, debauched aristocrats who go from sensual adventure to sensual adventure. And then at the end, they all sit on this sexy couch that they've heard is just amazing. And the couch eats them. That feels like Ready Player One feels like the couch at the end of that story. So what I said to Matt a few months ago was that this is VR chat. This is going to be the future. Sorry, bitch. You got to fucking be on it. That's going to be where all of your commerce and interaction and your posts go, all your feedback go. If we had made this show, this podcast, five years from now, we would have all met there. 
You would have met. Uh, you would have been a big anime lady. I would have been a Knuckles. Uh, Will would have just been Will for some reason. <laughs> Felix would have been Solid Snake. We all would. Have, we all would have hung big out boss. there and been like, "Let's okay, Big Boss. Okay, <clears throat> who would you have been, Amber? I wouldn't be on it. <laughs> and this is what gave me hope. And, and I, I assume you would be opposed to this, but let me sketch this out. This is in the future, some thirty years from now. And right now, today, there's seven, you know, and a half billion people in the world pushing eight billion, uh, many of whom live in extreme poverty. We have, a, you know, grotesque inequality. Uh, even within developed countries, we have failing uh, uh, social security state, failing infrastructure, even in the richest countries in the world. Why is it so repugnant, the idea that there would be a future where everyone has an equal opportunity ostensibly to experience okay okay experience a world where it sounds the same it looks the same it feels the same everything that was is is only the the domain of the very wealthy right now is accessible to everyone. They show in that opening montage where they describe to you Oasis. You can climb Mount Everest. You can you can With go on this exclusive What you're saying is, in Hawaii. is antithetical to the actual movie's lesson, Even, which I'm, is like the real world is the only thing that's real. Even that's true. In that's in, the message even, of the film. Well, even in an egalitarian world, I'm sorry, not everyone is going to get to climb Mount Everest. Not everyone is going to go on the exclusive Black Sands Beach of Hawaii. Here, here is the question that is posited by this discussion in the film itself. Is the world that we now live in, and I think the film is, in fact, a pretty good facsimile of a world that already exists. It already reflects, I think, pretty much our, the culture that we currently live in as mediated by digital mediums and pop culture references. Here's the question. Is there a potential there to liberate ourselves? Taking aside the harsh realities of the world we live in, does this technology and the shared experience of these things, is it a way out of the world we live in? Or is that, in fact, impossible because it is so embedded in the ideology and actual infrastructure (laughs) And of capitalism and the world we currently live in. You're so classic crusty right now. It's like you're really going on. Well, I obviously. I'm well, sorry. Well, well, it depends on what you mean by crisis. Well, my my point I'm, is I'm, my my point is I, I'm neutral on on the the issue of who is in control here. I'm obviously opposed to what the film exposes to us about who the 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 tech gods are. But I am endorsing the technology itself. I am a Marxist, and I have to say I agree with Virgil on this. I think that uh, technology is not—it's not neutral, though, and it needs to be sure. utilized for by the people. But this movie does not posit any connection between this online economy and the real economy it, and it, reality. It does not. But it is a movie made by and for liberals. But I will say this. If this is the direction liberals are moving in kind of a in kind of a cultural political context, I'm fine with that because I think if this was made ten years ago, maybe even five years ago, the bad guy would not be a corporation; it would be the government. Mm-hmm. And I like that they and again they don't understand the relationship between the state and capitalism. The police show up to save them; yeah. like it's it's a bit strange. But I don't know. I I think it indicates a kind of shifting of consciousness even among liberals where they're like, hey, these the bad guys are the people with all of the money. 
and not, you know, whatever uh, authority as a vague concept. That's good. It's a it's a it's a good vector to point towards, but I do feel like it 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 is so severs the connection between the economy of the online because it says you need to come back to the real world. Like that's the big uh, message of the film, which counteracts your idea that it's some sort of manifesto for a future matrix. The whole point of the movie is you need to be in the real world, and the real world is what's real, and you need to not be in fantasies, and you need to be be grounded. In fact, one of the things they do, spoiler alert, when they take over the the, the oasis is shut it down two days a week so that people be real. I want to but none of that being real does not mean because they posit the oasis early in the film as an escape from the problems of the 21st century that nobody could solve. They say we stopped trying to solve problems. We started trying to escape them. And then he says, no, we need to go back to reality. But the thing that comes after that. OK, I'm back here. Everything sucks. I live in a in, a, in the middle of a fucking apocalypse. What am I going to do about it? That's alighted. Him yeah. and his girlfriend are making out in a fucking loft with the Klingon uh, uh, battle dagger it's on the wall. It's called the Pac-Leth. Okay. <laughs> because, right, the film, because the film was two and a half hours long. If you wanted to go over the entire political economy of the world in 2045, it would have been eight hours long. I think you actually could have done it in long. five minutes. I, I, I don't know. I, I, think it's, um, I think it's very convoluted. It doesn't, it doesn't have a kind of political foundation mm-hmm. to it. Um, but mm-hmm. I like that the bad guys are capitalists, and no. I don't think it's the worst instinct. And also, like, whatever. They're libs. They're learning. Here, here are the things Watch them crawl. towards the end of the film that I found to be the most hopeful and beautiful sentiments of the film. And I don't know why you're laughing, Chris. <laughs> no responses from Chris, please, going forward. Doc his pay. Uh at the end of the film, it becomes a... So the final challenge is to play a classic Atari game adventure and to find the one Easter egg in that game, which uh, the film tells you is the very first Easter egg inserted in a video game. And the our uh, Wade has... Uh, done a classic dystopian hero thing which is transmit to everyone and say hey the bad guys are here you all have to come help me right now which they do and they come in droves and it's a big big fight and wade by some deus ex machina is the last one standing against ioi to actually play the game and you see everyone in the world watching him including the technicians who work for the bad guy because they are just enthralled that someone is going to solve this five-year-old mystery, and he does it very calmly. He finishes the game, and that, to me, shows what gaming is as a shared experience that can inspire a great number of people. People, you know, the idea of Twitch a year ago... The idea of Twitch a year ago was absurd to pretty much everyone. Who the hell would watch someone play video games? Let's Plays or things like that. Now it is increasingly becoming the dominant culture. More people under the age of 20 are interested in esports than P-sports. That's a fact. That's why they're all going... Never mind. Um, uh, That's true, but what those people are actually gathering around to watch, literally, forgetting the, the, the... you know, whatever they're, they're watching virtually, the actual thing they're watching is the transfer of corporate stock from one party to another. I, I'm sorry to interject here, but I feel like this episode has just become a replay of the Virgil Matt gaming debate. Yeah. No, I have one thing to say. This is not about gaming. This is uh, about another thing he said. He's talking about how, at, spoiler alert, at the end of the game, he has to, 
he has to find the Easter egg, the first Easter egg ever in a video game, which was an Atari game called Adventure. And what was it? The guy, he goes back, and the Easter egg is the name of the guy who designed the game. Yes. It was literally a self-suck. And this movie is a Spielberg self-suck. That's why he made it. It was. Is that so absurd? Come on. Yes, it is. No, no. It's it's, actually, it's, it's the mark of, okay. You're going to shut up for just a second and stifle your laughter, but it is an artist's signature. And I, I, I actually, I, I think there was something about that it, it, in, in a very materialist way. And someone made this. There was a worker behind this. Yeah. And Spielberg is saying, I made your mind. I made the pop culture the last 30 to 40 years. You live in my brain and then you can't escape. That worker who made that Easter egg was a programmer who did not own that company and was not authorized to do that. And the first ether yeah. Easter eggs were unauthorized. It's like someone, it's like a, it's like a, a, a Mason putting their name on the brick. Yes. Or something. Yeah. And it's got turned into over the last 40 years into a commodity. It has, but that's not a negative sentiment. Putting your name on something is not, no, the, is, is not were, negative. Doing and it, and if anything, it? It, it, it in some way like makes labor more visible. I agree with that, but I don't think that's what Spielberg found respo- responding to. I think Spielberg was responding to the self-reference why else would you make a movie where one of the scenes well, involves you rendering a cgi version of the t-rex from one of your other movies why would you do that and and a half a dozen movies that you directed or produced or had some hand in that is self-suckery movies never have a gratuitous content to uh, encourage people to watch them uh, well spielberg's a narcissist Guys. and that's fine but it's it's not that bad anyway okay. literally the movie it was fine it was fun it was convoluted. It's it's very lib, but um, you know it. Guys, back guys, a capitalist. Can I just say one more thing on that? All right, vein. Let's all have on, one last on, thing on, on that vein, Billy. On what Amber just said, and I I thought, okay, you know, call me schmaltzy or stupid or whatever, but I thought this was a moving sentiment. Was the the one of the final scenes where Wade finally meets Halliday, and Wade is he's done everything. He's he's uh, plowed through all of the goddamn fucking 80s references and he's just with Halliday in what appears to be Halliday's childhood home. And you see a young version of Halliday playing uh, an Atari game. And Halliday is that alpha male we were talking about earlier who was moping around and not making eye contact, standing in a proud hunched pose. And the one of the last things Halliday says after giving Wade the keys to the kingdom was just thanks for playing my game. And in my mind, what is essential about art is that it is a communion between artists and consumers. And that if you can't acknowledge that that communion exists in gaming, perhaps even in a higher sense, then I, I don't know what to say. Okay. Shall we end with our closing thoughts? That, that, Virgil, was that your closing thought on the film? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Closing uh, thoughts on the film. And, the, and I, I think the question in general is can we escape or liberate ourselves through uh, pop culture references and video games? I'm going to let Matt go otherwise. No, no, I want to go last. No, you don't get to go last. I'm sorry. What? I want to go last. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. That's why you want to do it. Oh, so you get to do it. Yes, I do. I love how we're now living Joss Whedon dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It just... All right. The movie felt like living in the fucking carcass of a dead whale on a beach it felt like it's the end it felt like no one has any more ideas nobody can monetize anything that doesn't have a 
a suite of previous uh, intellectual property behind it you can point to to get funding because you can argue, hey, people recognize X, Y, and Z, and so they'll pay to see X, Y, and Z. And that we live in this sterility where all we even have, even the masters who actually did create stuff, Spielberg being one of them, are now in a, in a, ter- in a sort of a, a winter of their life where they're just inwardly facing and, t- and sort of tending the garden of their, of their pop culture legacy. There's no newness. Uh, and the idea that, that any kind of uh, exp- uh, pop- communal expression or, or uh, solidarity that is found in a virtual realm can, can then transfer to a real one. I mean, the film doesn't make that argument, and I don't know anything in the non-film world that would support that argument either. Uh, yeah. Well, as I was saying before, it's, uh, it's cute. It has a human touch. It was written, which is more than you can say for half the movies out there right now, it's politically incredibly convoluted, which is why it is such an interesting artifact of this moment in time. And I'm not talking about gaming or the internet. I'm talking about art's relationship to politics and what art tries to do, especially mass culture. I'm not saying popular culture. I'm saying mass culture, something produced for the masses, how that relates to the actual political realities of our world. And I think the fact that they're trying to produce something semi-recognizable is a good sign. I would say, along similar to those lines, I thought the movie was almost too good at kind of creating an uncanny reflection of a world that we already live in. And I think we need to ask ourselves, is that the world that we want to be living in? Is this the culture that we want for ourselves? If we like the movie, does that mean that we like the culture that we currently live in? And I think the movie was a good reflection of that. However, what I find disturbing about it and the culture we currently live in is this idea that there is no escape from the past. And to get back to what Amber said, reading from Mark Fisher, is that we are just essentially reproducing ourselves and reconsuming ourselves through more and more references and remixes of culture that has already come before us. There were movie characters making movie references from other movies in this movie about them. I don't know how to accurately summarize all that up, but I think it is very of the moment and how we react to it, I think essentially is a good Rorschach test for how we, how comfortable we feel with the culture of the internet and pop culture in general at the moment. I just want to say to add to that, uh, one more quote from a little guy named Karl Marx. The tradition of all dead generations weighs like a nightmare on the brains of the living. Mm. Uh, anyway, fortune cookie. Ass. Yeah, dude. This is a, this is a quote from Black Sabbath. They said, "I am Iron Man." <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, look, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I have a cold. My body's really hot. I've been going to the gym in a week. Terrible mood. I have to watch this. Fucking didn't really pay attention to the movie. I'm going to be honest. It's pretty boring. Not good. But uh, I was thinking about if I made the true experience of what it's like to travel through the internet through my cultural references. <laughs> and uh, like Steve Jobs' guy is Dan Quinn. And you have to find three keys from Dan Quinn's life. You have to find, you have to go to Juanita's where he knocked out five guys at once. Four assholes and one asshole from New York. You have to, you have to, you have to, you have to find Boogaloo who drew him as the bad boy. And there are all these little clues you have to go through. Like they're like, uh, 
you know, one of the one of the one of the riddles is like, oh, uh, you know, smoke smoke this weed the best way you know how. And it's like, wait a minute, Dan Quinn never bought the most expensive weed. He bought mids and put orange peels in it, as he said. And can he beat nine? <laughs> and you have to go through the real internet culture, which is making yourself so like g- geometrically growing your mental illness every year by finding new insane guys with your friends, you and your friends making each other more insane. There's no, you know, the, the, it just me and my friends online stumbling through Dan Quinn, Demonious X, Mikey miles, all of our guys until we find the end, which is Lou Holtz. Wait, and we'd beat him. Wouldn't it be a beautiful vision if we were in charge of the Oasis and the only avatars any user could have were either of Salman, Mr. Danny, or all of the other beautiful Persian bodybuilders. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's the only thing that we could reference or look like in our new future online utopia. Oh, and you, Who would want to look like anything else? Felix and the Hudson Brothers should have had a cameo in this movie as uh, guys who watch the main character's story and go, last time I ever cry about a hoe. <laughs> There should in the real one. There's a Fortnite planet where me and all my Fortnite <laughs> friends live on. There would be, and there will be in the future. And you can't escape it because of the mental illness field. Uh, again, last thought. Uh, you cannot escape it. You cannot escape pop culture references. You cannot escape the culture and ideology that you live in and imbibe. Maybe there's a way out if you find an Easter egg. If you find it, let us know. The future. This is Chapo Trap. Fiat House. Lux. One We're more out. quote. Bye. You can't escape what's coming. Chapo. You can't escape what's coming. You can't do it. Chapo.